You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. We've talked about that study that found that people who are homophobic were aroused by gay pornography, likelier to be aroused by gay pornography. You take a homophobic dude, you wire his junk up, I hate gay people, you show him gay porn and he gets a boner. And we've all looked at that study and thrown it around and thrown it in the faces of anti-gay haters as proof that they're externalizing an internal struggle that they just, you know, some of them are just, you know, closeted self-hating, self-haters who are externalizing their self-hate and making it other hate. Uh, but that can't explain all the homophobia in the world. They can't all be secret cocksuckers. There's too many of them. They can't all be Ted Haggard's and George Reeker's and Marcus Bachman's. And we have a new study that came out this week that documents a different kind of homophobia, uh, a different sort of reason for it, a different a different motivator for homophobia. And it's kind of funny when you think about it, when you think about America's highest profile homophobes. You think about Tony Perkins. Ugh. You think about Rick Santorum. Ugh. You think about Brian Brown, Pat Robertson. You think about these notorious homophobes and then you think about them because you can't not think about them if you're gay because they're always up in our business. But then you think about them in light of this study and you really just want to go and slap the sense into each and every one of them with your dick. Because what this new study published this week in the Social, Psychological and Personality Science Journal found was that what underlies and undergirds a lot of homophobia is a fear that the gay dude is going to hit on you. This fear that all those gay people, they want to fuck me. That's what Brian Brown, Pat Robertson, Tony Perkins, if they are indeed not the kind of homophobes who are aroused by homosexual sex and, and secretly closetedly gay, if they are that other kind of homophobe, what they're worried about is that we're all coming to fuck ya. That under that, that, that just fills them with terror. We're going to come and stick our dicks in you. There's a kind of famous joke definition for homophobia that isn't really a joke if you think about it for five seconds, particularly in the context of this new study conducted by Angela G. Pierlot of the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire and Stephen L. Newberg of Arizona State University that found that people who are homophobic tend to be terrified that someone's going to try to fuck them. But there's this famous definition of homophobia that's at uh, Urban Dictionary that goes like this. Homophobia, the fear that gay men will treat you the way you treat women. The fear that gay men are looking at your ass and thinking the same shit you're thinking when you're looking at ladies' asses. Which brings us to my old friend Pat Robertson. He was asked on the Christian Broadcasting Network on the 700 Club whether it was problematic for Christians to like things on Facebook if what's being shown, if the photo that's being shown on Facebook, quote, goes against what is written in the Bible, such as pictures of same-sex couples. Is that, liking something like that on Facebook, considered condoning the behavior? And how do you explain this to new Christians who may be unclear on the whole hatred concept or youth who need to have hatred taught to them? They need to be carefully taught. Here's what Pat had to say. What you're saying is, yes, I, I like this kind of thing. You've got a couple of, of same-sex guys kissing. You like that. Well, that makes me want to throw up. But if you think you punch, to me, I would punch vomit, not like. <laughs> I'm not sure that option's there. Yeah, they don't give you that option yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, Pat Robertson needs a vomit button on Facebook. None of the rest of us out here in TV land, we don't need a vomit button. 
Because the vomit just comes up naturally whenever we see Pat Robertson's ugly fucking face spewing hate on YouTube or Facebook or anywhere else. Uh, thank you to rightwingwatch.org for bringing that clip to our attention. God bless the people at rightwingwatch.org who watch all the hater TV and then bring us the gems like that. So gay people, just seeing a gay couple kissing makes Pat Robertson want to throw up. And so now with the science in our hands, we get to sit back and wonder whether the problem for Pat Robertson, what sort of instills this homophobia in Pat Robertson that's so strong that just looking at a picture of two dudes kissing makes him want to throw up, is that Pat Robertson is one of those secret closet cases. If we wired up his ancient junk and showed him some gay porn, his ancient dick would stir to life. I need my own vomit button right now. I'm trying to picture Pat Robertson's ancient junk stirring to life and it's like something out of an Indiana Jones movie when the walls start to move in and all the like dust and stuck shit starts crumbling off it and falling to the ground. Or if Pat Robertson is one of those homophobes who is afraid that the gays are coming to fuck his ass. As a designated spokesperson for all lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and genderqueer people everywhere, which I'm not technically, but for this, the purposes of this, I think I can claim that mantle. I assure you, Pat Robertson, nobody wants to fuck you. Your wife doesn't want to fuck you. My husband doesn't want to fuck you. Gay men in America, we have no desire to undo your white vinyl belt and pull down your polyester trousers and bend you over the couch on the set of the 700 Club and shove our dicks up your ass. If that's what you're worried about, Pat, you can stop worrying. You too, Rick Santorum. You too, Brian Brown. You too, Peter LaBarbera. You too, Tony Perkins. Please, all of you. You can relax. You can st- we are not coming for you with our hard cocks. We are not coming in you with our hard cocks. We're not coming anywhere near you with our hard cocks. Just mental images of you prevent our cocks from getting hard. If you were in the room, we would be disabled. We would never get erect ever again. You guys are for gay men ED instillers, erectile dysfunction machines. I promise you, Pat Robertson, no one is trying to fuck you. Male or female, gay or straight at this point, nobody wants to fuck you. You can relax. You can let go of your homophobia. We're not coming for your crinkly gray-haired ass. I promise. Now your calls. My question is, I'm in a relationship with my boyfriend, and he feels like we should have sex every day. And I told him, and we're having sex about four to six times a week. But he says that's not enough, and on the days that we don't have sex, I should be giving him oral. He's not, he doesn't understand, so we're trying to find a good compromise because he feels as if we should, if I wanted it that many times, he would do it. And I was telling him that physically it's just almost impossible for me. Anyway, that's my question. Let me see if I follow you here and follow your boyfriend's logic. On those days when you you guys don't have sex, your boyfriend wants you guys to have sex. On those days when you don't have sex, he wants you to perform oral sex, which is sex. So when you're not having sex, you need to be having sex. That's his reasoning. Um, You need to dump the piece of shit. Not because there's anything wrong with having high libido or wanting sex four to six times a week, but there's something wrong with laying this kind of guilt trip on someone who is doing a pretty reasonable job of meeting your needs. Four to six times a week is almost every day. 
and six times a week plus a blowjob on the seventh day, on the day of rest. That is having sex every day of the week. Your boyfriend is full of shit. He should be grateful and into it. That's a lot of sex, four to six times a week in, in, in the context of a relationship. That's a lot of fucking sex. You are banging it out. What's going on here, of course, and the reason you physically – you mentioned you physically. This is impossible for you – is that he expects you to have vaginal intercourse every day of the week, maybe more than once a day. And what you need to tell him from me is that if every time you guys had sex, if every time he said yes to sex, he got his ass fucked, he'd say yes to sex a little less often than he might otherwise because to be the penetrated party is to incur more of the sort of physical and psychic risk and also just wear and tear. I say this to straight guys all the time. If you know you want to hear yes from your girlfriend more often – then yes can't always mean yes, you can stick your dick in me and slam it in an anatomy until you ejaculate. Yes has to mean we'll be intimate. We'll have sex. We'll roll around. Maybe we'll have oral sex. Maybe we'll have vaginal intercourse. Maybe we'll masturbate together. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll do something fun and we'll get off. But it can't always be this expectation that I will be penetrated because if that is always the expectation, then I may be at certain times unwilling to say yes or less likely to say yes because I just got fucked yesterday. Maybe I'm still sore. Maybe last night at midnight when we fucked, you rolled over and fell instantly to sleep, which is a design flaw in the human male. Prolactin is a hormone released by men's bodies after they have orgasms and it makes men sleepy, a sign from God uh, that maybe we're not naturally monogamous. Because, anyway, we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. But you fucked me, you fell into sleep and I laid there feeling like I had to pee and then I went up and went to pee because I didn't want to get a urinary tract infection and maybe I was just tingling and sore and you're fucking asleep and I'm up for two more hours. So there's a more significant cost of time and energy for me than for you when I'm getting fucked. If every time I had sex with Terry, I had to get fucked, I'd have sex with Terry less. Have you seen my husband? Who has sex with that less? I would if every time I got fucked. That's what you need to tell him. Can't always be me get fucked. Sometimes it has to be hmm, you get fucked. Let's try this. For seven days a week, I'm going to fuck your ass with this great big strap on dildo. We'll see how you feel by day six about yes to day seven. He's not going to feel good about it. He's going to want a break. His orifice is going to need a break. You tell him your orifice needs a break. Four or six times a week is plenty. And a day of rest for all of your orifices, including the one on your face, is not unreasonable. And if he can't wrap his head around that and then maybe wrap his right hand around his dick when he needs those extra orgasms in between the tons of sex that he's having with you, then you need to dump that motherfucker. Hi, this is Leah. I am a heterosexual female in my 20s. I am having some issues with my boyfriend who I've been dating for almost six months now. Started long distance. Four months were long distance. Two months now he's been back in the city and everything has changed since he returned and it is definitely not the fairy tale that I dreamt it would be. A lot of qualities are lacking, but I still seem to be pretty much obsessed with him and I just don't know if his feelings are being returned. For example, he doesn't really access uh, anything emotionally. Like He never tells me, he never compliments me. He rarely says things like, I miss you. Uh, we usually split bills for everything, and I get nervous anytime we go to pay for a meal, and I think I have to pull out my card. He's paid for, like, a couple of meals since we've been together. There's on no social media has he ever posted a photo of me. 
I think to the outside world, he looks single. Anytime I introduce him to one of my friends, they say, oh, you're the guy from Aspen. So nice to meet you finally. And anytime I'm introduced to a friend of his, he says, oh, actually, this is my girlfriend. He's very no to little PDA in public. I'm not asking for like, you know, tongue makeouts, but I am asking for just, I don't know, a low back touch, maybe a quick handhold, maybe an arm around the shoulder, maybe a forehead kiss, maybe some sort of acknowledgement. We have very little foreplay. He claims to really not be good with expressing his emotions, which he's definitely not. He's basically never really inconvenienced himself for me, and not that I'm asking him to, like, move a mountain, um, but any little thing that seems like it could be a nuisance is something he will not do. Uh, we hang out with his friends a lot and not so much with mine. We just spent a weekend with my friends and he left early because I guess they were a little different. I feel a little powerless in the situation. I'm worried that if I bring up any of these things to him that I will seem silly or... It will just lead, end in a breakup, which I guess I shouldn't be fearful of if I'm feeling so upset about it. But I just want him to want these things and to want to make me happier. But it kind of just seems like he is on his own path. But I'm wondering why he would still be with me if he didn't like me. Why would he still date me? So I don't really know what to think about that. Um, I don't know if I'm expecting too much from him. and I mean, I guess I don't think I am, but... Maybe it's just not who he is, and maybe that's me asking him to be who he's not. So these are all my things. So right before we started the taping today, one of the tech-savvy at-risk youth walked in and said, what do you think it means when you see a crow pick up a condom off the ground and fly away with it? Like we needed somebody who used to read entrails for Roman emperors from chickens and goats to to, to, to decipher the symbolism of, the, of this act. And the condom was apparently – a a new condom still in its wrapper, not a used condom, nothing gross, but the crow sort of flew away with it and landed on a roof and pecked. Okay, I think we can go on to the next call. Oh, right. I haven't answered your question. This is one of those calls where I think that the caller, by the time they listen to their own voice and they hear what they've said to me, what they've asked of me, before I even open my mouth, before you even get to me, they will realize what they need to do. They will realize how sorry and pathetic and their being and how badly used they are by their partner. But also they'll see – because it's transparently obvious what they need to do, which is you need to dump this motherfucker already. Um, that may be the theme – the emerging theme of this show may be – we may be – sometimes it just happens. We get on a DTMFA roll and all the calls are DTMFAs. If this is who he is, inconsiderate, not demonstrative in any way. Uh, shy about being open that you are his girlfriend, uh, unwilling to meet your emotional needs, uh, your need for acknowledgement, need for tenderness, public displays of affection, fucking foreplay. If that is who he is, he is not the person that you need. So don't make excuses for that. He doesn't get a pass. Oh, because that's not who he is, that I am going to stay with him because that's who he is and who he is is someone who makes me unhappy. And someone who cannot and does not and will not meet my needs? No, you need to break up with this person. Uh, you know, some people are uncomfortable with public displays of affection. 
that can be worked around. But no foreplay, no acknowledgement, not emotionally available to you in any way. And you're afraid to tell him these things? You're afraid to talk to him about what you need for fear that he might end this relationship that makes you unhappy and doesn't meet your needs? That's not healthy. And my read from outside when I hear somebody unpack something like this is usually that this person wants out and doesn't have the courage or the decency or the honesty or the integrity to end it. So they just make themselves more and more unpleasant, less and less available. They, the inconsideration grows until they force your hand and you are forced to dump them. That's where you are. So dump him. Do what he's asked, begging you to do. Do what you need to do, what you know you need to do, and do what in the end is going to make you feel better about how this relationship ends. Either he's going to end it and then you're going to feel the fool for having let this go on for as long as you did or you're going to end it and you're going to be proud of yourself for seeing through his bullshit and for taking a stand and for sending him packing. Even if that's what he wanted, ultimately in the end, you will feel better for having proactively done that for him, yes, but also for yourself. Dump the motherfucker already. Hi, Dan. I'm calling from a liberal city in California, and I'm actually calling about a friend of mine because we're not really sure what he should do. Um, we've been friends since high school, and we're in our mid-20s now, and it's always been very obvious that he loves women. He always says, I love big butts whenever you're you know, out on the street with him, he'll sort of get distracted if a sexy lady walks by. So he's clearly attracted to women. Um, but he also has this, I don't know if it's a concern or this thought that maybe he's gay. And the reason he might, he thinks that is because he's had homoerotic dreams and every now and then he'll see a guy and think he's attractive. So maybe he's bi, but I, I don't think he's gay. But I want to be supportive. So, you know, he thinks he should explore. He's worried that if he, you know, gets into a relationship with a woman he really loves, he's always going to wonder, you know, what if she's actually gay and what if he should have tried being with men? Um, he's had some relationships with women, but never more than, you know, three months. And he definitely likes women. So we went to the sort of gay neighborhood in our city about a year ago so that he could try making out with the guy. And he did, and he just didn't like it at all. Um, but he still thinks that maybe he's gay. So the idea of eating pussy grossed you out. He's like, no, I love pussy. And, you know, an anal sex with a woman, I'd totally do that. But then when I asked if he'd be into anal sex with a guy, he gets kind of grossed out and doesn't want that. But he still thinks maybe he's gay. Anyway, what should he do? He feels like he needs to explore, but I feel like going on to a, you know, sort of a gay dating site isn't really fair to the guy he might meet up with. Just to kind of use the date to see if he's gay seems kind of dishonest. Like, is it something he can just be open about and say, look, I'm experimenting. Do some gay guys like that? Or is that kind of rude? Anyway, we would love your opinion on how he should proceed so that he doesn't end up marrying a woman and always wondering if he should have been with a man. Maybe he's gay or maybe he's just an attention whore and this charade keeps his friends dancing in circles wondering what's up with him and makes him an object of fascination to his female friends to such an extent that they call actual gay dudes to bother them about it. Listen, he could be bi. There are bi guys out there in the world. Maybe he's bi. If he loves to eat pussy but he's into guys too, could be bisexual. Uh, there are guys out there who are gay who aren't into anal sex. So just throwing that will you fuck butt, will you fuck dude butt or let dudes fuck your butt – Adam isn't going to determine 
for a fact whether he's gay or not. Something like 25, 35% of gay men never have anal sex. It is not the defining er sex act to gay men in the same way that vaginal intercourse is the defining er sex act to so many straight people. Um, what I would encourage you to do is stop pretending like this matters to you so much. Tell him, who knows what you are? Why don't you go fucking figure it out? Why don't you get out of the house and go date a dude and go date women and do whatever you like uh, and let him work it out? I bet you he'll come to a conclusion sooner if his tortured journey and his indecision isn't so fucking fascinating to all of his friends. Right now, you're all good. You're wondering what's up with him and you're going to take him to gay neighborhoods where he will make out with guys. What? I work in a gay neighborhood. I live in a gay neighborhood. I've been all over my gay neighborhood today and nobody has tried to kiss me. I don't want people who have never been to a gay neighborhood to listen to your call and think you just have to walk into a gay neighborhood and there are kissing booths or people running down the street trying to stuff their tongues in your mouth. I like walk into a gay neighborhood as a dude and automatically get a makeout session. I wish it were that simple. When I was 19, that would have been awesome. doesn't really happen that way. But apparently it happened that way for your friend. Could be by. Why don't you just next time he does this, oh, am I straight? Am I gay? I'm into guys but I like girls. Just look at him and say, you're fucking bisexual. Can we please go to the movies now? Or did you hear about that crow in Seattle that picked a condom up? What do you think that means? Hi, Dan. I'm crazy about you, crazy about the show. My question is, some of my Christian friends have been posting a story on Facebook about some Christian protesters being attacked at the Seattle Gay Pride event. I can only find it being reported at religious and conservative websites and not in the mainstream media. Do you know anything about this incident? Can you comment about it on your show? I'm not sure how legitimate the story is. I know no one in the Seattle area except you and would like to know how to respond to my friends. The headline says, Seattle Gay Pride Participants Viciously Beat Christian Street Preacher. Thanks. Joining me by phone from New York City, which is not in or near Seattle, uh, the author and gay activist and blogger Joe Jervis, who pens the – writes the Shepherds, the Joe My God blog at JoeMyGod.com, which is an invaluable uh, basically news and activism site for the LGBT community, winners of all sorts of – uh, blogging and online tech awards, including a GLAAD award. Thanks for jumping on the phone, Joe. Very nice to meet you here today, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so even though this happened in Seattle, I was sort of checked out for Pride and the week after for July 4th, so I wasn't familiar with this story, but you've been all over it. Did this happen? Were Christian protesters at Pride attacked? And by whom and what the hell's going on? Uh, well, first, uh, yes, two Christian preachers were attacked, uh, and one was punched rather severely. However, uh, there's a lot more to the story than, of course, as, as always happens, uh, than what is appearing on ba basically every right-wing and Christian news site across the country uh, this week, where the headlines typically say, unhinged lesbian mob pummels innocent Christian preacher. Uh, basically, the details are few. Uh, I've been in contact with the Public Information Department at, at the Seattle uh, uh, Police Department, uh, and, and I have as much information as they're willing to tell me. So here's what we do know. Uh, two preachers were standing around the Space Needle Park area during Pride Fest, holding signs. Uh, one said, Jesus is Lord. One said, Re repent or burn or repent or perish, something like that. And according to some eyewitnesses reports, they were shouting abuse uh, at 
Pride Festival goers. And this isn't let – me, let me jump in here for a second. This isn't unique. This has been going on at every Pride Parade for 30 years. This has happened at thousands and thousands of gay Pride events all over the country. Uh, I personally have had uh, one stand – inches from my face and scream that I deserve to get AIDS. And if I don't have AIDS yet, he'll be happy to know when I, when I have it. Uh, you know, they, they scream the most foul things. And so then in, in these thousands and thousands of anti-gay protests, no one has ever been attacked. I want to jump in here for a second and make it clear that when we talk about preachers at gay pride events, we're not talking about somebody with a Bible standing on a soapbox preaching. We're talking about assholes with big signs that say you're going to hell and gay sex is a sin and screaming in people's faces. And this has been going on since I was going to pride parades when I was 18 years old. They're at every gay pride event, these sort of ranting, raving, bigoted Christian Uh, haters. They uh, they, they typically carry very abusive signs, uh, you know, uh, worthy of Westboro. Uh, Sometimes they have amplification. Most of the time the police department uh, does not allow it. In most major cities, the police actually force the anti-gay protesters away from the main event areas and, and force them into a, a standard protesters' pen. And, and so the point the is the, that never in the whole history of these provocations has anyone ever laid a finger on these motherfuckers. Never in thousands and thousands of horrible uh, opportunities has a gay person ever uh, assaulted a preacher. Except this time, what happened? Well, this time, according to some eyewitnesses, uh, uh, and we, we have not been able to confirm this, one of the preachers was calling people dirty queers, quote-unquote. There was a straight married couple in the Pride Fest area. Uh, apparently, the woman, according to some reports, unconfirmed, I must stress, uh, was called a dirty queer, and her husband, uh, a large gentleman, ripped off his T-shirt, ran across uh, the lawn, and jumped on this guy and, and pummeled him while the cameras were rolling. That man was arrested. His name is Jason Query. Unfortunate last name in this situation. <laughs> There's nothing funny about this, but that's funny. Uh, and I actually had, had the police department, you know, sound out his name for me just to make sure I wasn't reading it wrong. Jason Query. Uh, and he is a multiple felon who has been arrested 29 times on a myriad of charges, uh, some drug-related, some violence-related. Uh, so what we have here in this one time ever in our history of our movement for 40 years that a preacher gets attacked, he wasn't attacked by a gay person. He wasn't attacked by any of the millions of millions of gay people who have had horrible things screamed at us at hundreds of events all over the country. This was a straight, multiple felon, allegedly defending his wife who had been called a dirty queer. Again, we, we don't know that the audio on the, on the recording doesn't, doesn't make it clear what was being said. Of course, that's not how right wing is spinning it. You know, to the right wing, it's unhinged, violent, lesbian, mob beats, innocent man with Bible. Which is not how it went down. And Which is not how it went down. In fact, the gay people that were nearby, if you watch the tape, they, they rushed over to pull the man off of the preacher. It was gay people who broke it up. That's a very important uh, aspect of what happened that doesn't seem to have made all the right wing and Christian websites. Okay, let, I, I want to have a thought experiment with you, Joe. A, a right wing preacher showing up at a gay pride event holding signs that say God hates fags and, you know, Matt Shepard burns in hell and repent is analogous to, I think, like two gay people showing up outside a megachurch in the suburbs on Easter Sunday holding signs that say God does not exist and you're a bunch of idiots and fools and sodomy is awesome and a big picture of butt fucking. How do you think they would be received? If gay people sent – 
you know, one or two anti-Christian gay preachers to Easter Sunday services at churches every year, year after year after year, do you think there would be violence? Do you think that I, they I would think, be attacked? I think that, of course, there would, there would be violence. Uh, that sort of provocation, uh, you know, is not can't be ignored for, for very long for most people. It's an amazing testament to our community, Dan, that we have faced these people down for decades at thousands of events, and never once has anything like this happened. And when it does happen, it's not a gay person punching the preacher. It's a straight multiple felony. So I think our record remains rather um, unblemished, despite what uh, all of the uh, anti-gay right-wing and Christian websites are claiming today. Now, when I spoke to the police department today, I spoke to uh, a lovely woman, uh, Detective Renee Witt, and she declined to identify the preachers, because, of course, they are victims and they don't have to go public unless they decide to. Uh, Jason Cleary was released that day, and he faces charges, misdemeanor assault charges, should the preacher decide to uh, uh, file charges. You know, the police arrested him on the scene based on what they had seen, but now it's up to the preacher to decide whether to file charges, and only then will we probably get the name of the preacher. Now, I found it very interesting that none of the Christian websites seem to be at all interested in the name of the preacher involved, or his church, or his ministry, or his website. Nothing out there about this guy, which tells me that that this guy might have a bit of a shady... Uh, horribly nasty anti-gay past, as we would all suspect, and they don't want that to be part of the story. Because, you know, free speech is free speech no matter what your backstory is. Right. They want it to sound like they picked on a church lady and beat her up for no reason and for fun. And and, and, and we're all against violence. I condemn violence. I've always condemned violence. Violence is all, never the answer. I mean, it's always it's wrong. Right. No, no one's saying that, it was, that what happened wasn't wrong. You know? And the fact is our people know it's wrong and don't do that. Right. But eventually, people reach a breaking point. But we haven't reached that breaking point, obviously, at gay pride events, because these this has never happened before. And still, even after this case, it would appear that no gay person has ever attacked a ranting, raving street preacher at a gay pride uh, event. It was a like I said, we're, we're still batting a thousand with, with you know uh, uh, keeping the peace, and that's just an amazing testament. You're going to keep covering this, Joe. Oh, of course. To follow this story, go to JoeMyGod.com. Joe Jervis, blogger, gay activist, writer, author, amazing, tireless, I don't know what to call you, re- reporter, superstar, blogger for the LGBT community. Thanks for jumping on the phone with us. <laughs> I'll take it all. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later, Joe. Thanks so much, Dan. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a huge fan. And unfortunately, I've had a weird thing happen to me today. So I need to ask your advice. I work in publishing, and I have an intern who works with me, and she's generally pretty great. But she's been happy with her work so far, but today um, I asked her to write up a summary of an essay written by a lesbian author, which is, among other things, about being a lesbian, and it's it would be for used for marketing purposes, and it's kind of just a normal thing that we do, so I asked her to do it, just like a 50-word summary. And she came back about five minutes later and told me that as a Christian, she couldn't do it, that she felt uncomfortable, she didn't want to judge anyone, but she didn't feel like she should be advocating for those behaviors. And I was just totally flabbergasted and didn't totally know what to do, but I just told her, like, she could do something else, and that's it. You know, I didn't even really react. But my question is... You know, she's an intern. She's just a recent college grad. 
Um, and I'm going to be asked to give her a reference. And, you know, I guess people are entitled to their own bigoted views, but I don't want to ruin her chances of finding full-time employment. But I also don't want to withhold this information that could be useful to someone else who might need her to work with a text about something she doesn't agree with. So what is my responsibility here? Do I need to sit down with her and talk about what she's comfortable doing, whether or not she should maybe consider a different career path, Um, or should I just be as honest with every person who calls? Should I only let people know who I think should? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of stumped on what to do here. Otherwise, she's like a bright kid, but, you know, this is like a pretty major thing. So I'd appreciate your advice. A funny thing happened in Oregon where a same-sex couple wanted a fucking cake for their wedding, for their commitment ceremony, and a bakery refused to bake that cake because they're Christians and baking cakes for queers who are getting married violates their Christian beliefs. Uh, A newspaper in in Portland, Willamette Week, went to that same bakery, let the furor die down. They waited a, a month or two and then they went back to the bakery and ordered a cake for a divorce party which is a thing now. People sometimes have divorce parties to celebrate divorces. You know, if it's an amicable, if it's an amicable divorce, why not mark that, celebrate that? If it's a horrible person that you hated being married to and now you're free of that person, why not have a cake? Why not have a party? They also asked for cakes from this bakery, this hate bakery, hatery, uh, for a baby being born out of wedlock and the bakery said they would, of course, bake that cake for that baby born out of wedlock. They asked for cakes for a stem cell success story that somebody went and did stem cell research and was doing bang up work and they uh, agreed to bake the cake for stem cells, for a non-kosher barbecue, for a pagan solstice party, absolutely willing to bake a cake for a pagan solstice party, just not for queers because their Christian beliefs sort of begin and end where queers begin and end. There was a law proposed here in Washington state suggested by a state representative from Walla Walla, Washington that would have made it legal for private businesses to discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation and only on their sexual orientation. All other classes of individuals would remain protected from discrimination and the provision of goods and services. This guy, this state legislator, was asked – what if you know a couple of queers living in a rural area, there's just one grocery store for 100 miles in any direction. We have a lot of empty space in Washington state like that. What are they going to do if that grocery store, if the owners say, well, we're Christians and we're not going to sell food to gay people? And what the state rep's office told the caller was that gay people could grow their own food or I guess starve to death. We have to push back hard against these double standards that your Christian beliefs give, confer upon you some special right to discriminate against just one class of people and that your Christian beliefs are really can be summed up only as hating gay people so hard. That there's no consistency, no follow through. You don't hate divorced people so hard. You don't hate non-Christian people so hard. You don't hate pagans so hard that you can't bake a cake for them but – you won't bake a cake for a couple of queers. And in the case of your intern, you won't summarize. You won't write a 50-word summary, which is part of your fucking job because you hate gay people so much. I bet if you look through the other things that she's already written 50-word summaries for, you'll find stories about divorce. You'll find stories about premarital sex. You'll find stories about birth control. You'll find stories about all sorts of things that maybe will conflict with conservative fundamentalist Christian doctrine and yet she was able to make the leap and write those summaries even though what she was describing conflicted with her Christian beliefs. So what do you do? I don't think you should say anything to her. 
because the odds that you will run to one of these right-wing Christian legal organizations and sue your ass and become a cause celeb discriminated against for her faith, her faith that only seems to kick in when some lesbian author is writing an essay, not when all those other articles or stories or manuscripts that she had to summarize were about other things that maybe conflict with her faith. And your publisher will get sued. You will get sued if you say boo to her about it. But you have a right to tell people who call and look for a reference that she didn't do the work. And they can ask you why. And then you have a right to then discuss it. She was good, good at this, good at that. But there were times when she just refused as a matter of principle to do the work that had been assigned to her. You have an absolute right. You have a responsibility to say that to someone who's calling for a reference. And then if they ask, you can say, well, we're a secular publishing house. We have all different kinds of writers from all different lifestyles, backgrounds, sexual orientations, faith traditions writing for us. We put a manuscript in front of her written by a lesbian author and she refused to touch it. She carried it back to my office with tongs practically and handed it to me and said she couldn't write about this because doing her job somehow in her brain would be construed as approving of this author's lifestyle choice. And here that's a problem. In my in my publishing house, that's a problem because we publish queer writers and straight writers too. So we couldn't hire her ultimately ourselves. She couldn't work here for that reason. Don't know what you're doing. If your publishing house is just republishing the King James Bible and Rick Warren's latest tome, it probably won't be a problem. But if you publish queer people, if you publish gay or lesbian writers, it could be a problem for you. She could be a problem for you. You're absolutely right to say that and you should say that. Hi, I am a mid-20s lady who just got engaged recently, and my fiancé and I, every once in a while, we'll get into this discussion about having kids, and we all, we agree on really the broad strokes of everything, like how many you have and all that stuff, but every once in a while, when we get into more specifics, we disagree, and what came up most recently was that he thinks that it's kind of selfish of parents to take weekends away from their children, and I just think that that's unreasonable. And I guess my question is, is that, like, is this even worth talking about right now? We're nowhere near having kids. We agree on the big stuff, like I said, and I kind of wonder if this is the sort of thing that's just going to work itself out once, like, the reality hits. So my question in general is how minute detail should we really be going here and really, like, do we need to have like 100% compatibility on these sorts of issues or will they kind of work themselves out? No two parents ever have 100% compatibility or agreement on every issue that touches on their children, nor should they. I think parents, couples sort of function as a two-party system. In a two-party system, there's partisanship. You know, The Dems carve out a position and the Republicans sort of by instinct leap to the opposite position and then they argue it out and theoretically the best idea wins in the end. And there's something about that that kicks in when you parent with someone. They, you know, partner X says, I think we should do this and partner Y says no and suddenly has a very strong opinion about this thing that they've never really thought about before. Their partner carved out the opposite position and then they argue it out and hopefully the best idea wins. If you can wrap your head around that when you're new parents – that sometimes you will have these disagreements that you can both become very passionate about and you realize you're arguing about things you didn't really have opinions on until the day you became parents and parent X took one position and parent Y took another. Uh, and you can carve this out and say this is healthy. These disagreements, this arguing is healthy because hopefully the best idea always is winning. And this is about vetting the ideas and there's a bit of theater to it. 
and then you – somebody wins and the other person doesn't have to be frosted about it hopefully. This, however, this argument, which you're already having with your boyfriend or fiance or whatever it is about future children, this is when you're going to want to win. You're going to want those weekends away. Terry and I are always telling our friends who are about to become new parents that the only time you remember why you liked each other well enough to want to have children together in the first place is when you're the hell away from your children together, when you are alone together. It has been my experience in Parentlandia watching other parents that the parents who regard it as selfish for mom and dad or dad and dad and mom and mom to get a weekend away, to dump the kid or kids on grandparents or friends and go out of town uh, and fuck and remember what it was like to be single and not parents, that those parents, the ones who think there's something selfish about mom and dad or dad and dad and mom and mom getting away, invariably are the ones who wind up getting divorced. Invariably, those are the couples where the wheels come off because they're not making any time just for each other away from their goddamned kids. Tell that to your boyfriend, husband, fiance, whatever the hell he is. You will need that time to recharge. You will need that time alone together away from your kid. And it's not selfish for you guys to do that. You're not taking anything away from your kid by doing that. You're giving something to your kid by doing that. Your kid, it's in that kid's best interests for his parents to stay into each other. It's in that kid's best interests for you two to have a strong foundation in your own relationship, for you two to stay in love. And you are likelier to stay in love if you get some time away from your kid and the pressures and the responsibilities and the relay race really that parenting is. You're going to need that time away. And it's not selfish. It's very giving. You're not just giving something to each other and yourselves as a couple. You're giving something to your children as well. Healthy, content, recharged, relaxed mom and dad who are excited to see their kids again and resume the relay race. Hey, my name, you can call me Chris. Um, but anyway, so I've been in a relationship for about two years um, and with this great young girl, really bad. Um, think about, we, <laughs> we, we started our relationship because I was sleeping with a best friend, and she brought her over for like a threesome, and then having for a while, I just happened to like her better than her best friend. So anyway, me and her like saw each other for a while, um, admitted that we liked each other about six months, and she left to study abroad, yada, yada, yada. Um, I visited her. It was great. It was really, really dope. Um, she came back, and like, it was cool. Like, eventually, we, we decided that we should be paying this lady boyfriend girlfriend, blah, 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 Um in this interim period, like, prior to that, like, I slept with somebody else, whatever. Um, so in November, we broke up because we got in a fight about hygiene because she wouldn't, like, uh, tend to her hedges, uh, so to speak. And, and, and not in, like, any sort of, like, crazy way. I'm not sort of, like, clear. Uh, I'm going to break in here for uh, a second, if that's okay. You said you had a fight about hygiene and then... That's important, you know, personal hygiene in a relationship. is important. People got to bathe. They got to floss. They got to brush their teeth. They got to keep shit clean. But then the hygiene issue isn't actually a hygiene issue. You say she wouldn't tend to her hedges uh, and then you say I'm not interested in clear cutting. What you're rounding up or rounding down to a hygiene issue is just pubic hair, that she had pubic hair and she wasn't trimming it to your particular topiary preferences. Uh, that's not a hygiene issue. That's a grooming issue and that's entirely different and people can have personal preferences around grooming and that's something that you can negotiate with a partner. If it's really important to you that things be trimmed back, 
That's a reasonable request. That you guys fought about that and had a breakup about that leads me to believe that you asked in such a way that it implied that there was something wrong with her or that she was dirty or disgusting or her natural body hair was in some way offensive to you or filthy that you talk about her pubic hair as if it's a hygiene concern. It's not a hygiene concern. It's a grooming concern and it's a, there's a preference around grooming and totally legit for you to have a preference. You like it trimmed back. Hopefully you keep your shit trimmed too. For fairsiness, but that's not a hygiene issue. All right, back to your call. We ended up a week later, kind of like starting to fuck again, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because um, it sucks. Because like, I want to be attracted to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, dope. Um, so anyway, so we kind of had this like weird open relationship thing where we weren't actually technically, technically, uh, technically together, but we were. So I would call her my not girlfriend, so to speak. And so in this interim period, I had gone out to prove to myself whether or not I actually liked this girl, right? Um, because I had my doubts. I'm like, you know, maybe I just like this girl out of convenience. Maybe it's because she's just not a crazy fucking bitch like all my other fucking girlfriends. Sorry, sorry, I have to interrupt you there again. Uh, she's not a crazy fucking bitch like all my fucking other girlfriends. Uh, when people say that, you know, maybe you drew the short straw over and over and over again. Maybe you did have a string of crazy fucking bitch girlfriends. But it's been my experience when somebody says all my exes are fucking psychos that I'm actually talking to the fucking psycho in that relationship and all those relationships because you are the common denominator. If everybody you've ever dated, if every boss you've ever had, if every girlfriend or boyfriend you've ever had has betrayed you and been a fucking bitch and an asshole and a cunt and a twat waffle and whatever, when you say shit like that, even if it's true. That all your other girlfriends, you just kept drawing the short straw. You're the unluckiest man in the world. Even if it's true, even if you're right that all your exes have been crazy fucking bitches, that's not something you say out loud because most reasonable people will conclude, will look at the likelier of the two possibilities, which is likelier that you have dated this string of women. They were all crazy bitches or you're a psychotic asshole. It's likelier that you're a psychotic asshole. So even if – all your girlfriends are bitches. All your exes were bitches. Don't say that to people. Don't say that on the podcast. Don't say that to anybody you're dating now, might be dating in the future because most people will conclude that if there was a crazy person in all those relationships, it was you. So don't say that. You know, and time and time again, I would go out and meet all these people. I would, I would you know, do whatever, blah, blah, blah. Not very interesting. You know, it just wouldn't, whatever. It just, these people would be so fucking insignificant, you know. Yada, yada, yada. So, you say yada, yada, yada too much. That, that's all going on. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, we got in a fight because uh, she felt that she wanted space because I was like texting too much with some shit. And I came in literally wanting the opposite. And so I told her all the reasons why I loved her and shit like that. And we told each other that we loved her back in November. So this is after like, this is like two years about now. Um, she didn't necessarily confirm it. So over pride... We got in a fight over PDA because she was cagey about me talking to or refusing a kiss, basically. So I just want to know, like, what the fuck is PDA and, like, how significant is that in a relationship and why why do I have to kiss you in public to prove that I, I'm in love with you, basically? You guys fight a lot. Pubes, texting, PDA. What the fuck is PDA? Obviously, public displays of affection. How significant is PDA? Well, for some people, it's significant. Some people like 
a little physical closeness and contact, a little demonstration uh, of their partner's affection, even out in public for others to see, especially out in public for others to see. But this isn't about a public display of affection. This isn't about why I have to kiss you in public. What happened here and what upset her wasn't that there wasn't PDA. It's that you refused a kiss. She went in to kiss you and you refused to kiss her. That is different than PDA. That is active rejection, not just passive, not providing her with the PDA that she might like, but she moved in for a small public display of affection and you shut her down. And what that communicated to her was, I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to be seen kissing you in public. That's kind of hurtful. At that moment, you scrounge up the ability to kiss somebody back, even if you're not the PDA type. She was making a public display of affection toward you and all you had to do was receive it and you refused to receive it. She wasn't asking you to bust out the PDA, which may be not in your nature to be publicly demonstrative in that way. But she was being publicly demonstrative and you shut her down and that hurt her feelings, understandably so. So, yada, 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 blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. I would encourage you in future to hammer out an agreement with her, which is just like an understanding that you like short pubic hair. So maybe she'll keep her pubes trimmed for you. She obviously doesn't like it when you text constantly when she's around. So maybe you'll text less for her. You'll both give a little and you're not a PDA type. PDA doesn't come naturally or effortlessly to you. It's not something you generally do. But when she moves in to publicly display her affection for you, you will not shut her down. And if you guys can hammer out sort of agreements on those three issues, you will live happily together ever after, yada, 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 whatever, 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 blah, blah, blah. Hi, Dan. I'm a bisexually open to my close friends, female in a monogamous relationship with a male right now. And I was listening to your advice to the girl to come out about being bi, um, who called about asking if she should, if she hadn't had that experience yet. And I think absolutely, totally agree with you. And especially she should come out to her boyfriend because um, I came out to mine and he actually was totally cool with me exploring that side of myself. He was like, that's something I can't ever give you. So if you feel so inclined, like, let's explore this. You can have this experience. So she might get that path and, you know, that would be great. But my question really is, you know, you kind of heartened me to, like, want to come out and, like, tell my family but my question would be is, do you have any advice for us bees out here for coming out of the bee closet? Because there's a lot of people who, I mean, it's like you said, like people don't really know. People complain about bisexual invisibility and how does one come out of that closet? Because a lot of people aren't really aware of it. Or like a lot of people, I don't tell them because it's an issue always. Like people sort of, or at least most people, I don't know. They're kind of uncomfortable because they can't put you in a box. Like they can't be like, oh, you're just attracted to guys or you're just attracted to girls. Like I find that it makes some people uncomfortable. And so I find it unnecessary in many cases. But I feel like now I I want to, but I don't really know how to go about it. It's kind of an awkward thing to say. And especially to my family, like my sisters know, but my parents don't. And I feel like it would be something weird. Like they're not sexually forward at all for all that they're very accepting like they have gay friends they're cool with everything so do you have any advice people do complain a lot about bisexual invisibility ironically i get blamed a lot for bisexual invisibility i just got a tweet just before i did this from somebody mentioning an out bisexual person and saying see dan we do exist like yeah 
I know you exist. I know there are a lot of you out there. And I also know that there are a lot more of you out there than anybody realizes. I mentioned this study before. Bisexual invisibility, a real problem. People complain about it. Bisexuals complain about it. The Pew Research study that just came out a few weeks ago that found that 77% of gay men were out of the closet to their family and friends. 71% of lesbians out of the closet to their family and friends. Only 28% of bisexuals out of the closet to their families and friends. The key, the solution to bisexual invisibility is bisexual people coming out. You're halfway there. You're out to your sisters. You're out to your boyfriend. And I'm a little shocked that you're hesitant to be out to your parents who have gay friends, who sound pretty liberal and progressive and you say it's like too much information. They're not very sexual people. You're not going to tell mom and dad, I am going to now fuck a girl in front of you to demonstrate that I am bisexual. You're just telling them that you're bi, which is something that is relevant, that they may need to know. It may benefit them to know. They would know you better to know that about you, that you could end up with a woman or a man. You should be able to find the courage inside you to say the words to mom and dad. I get it. Yeah, it might be awkward. Tell me the fuck about that. No gay person has ever come out without facing down that awkwardness. You say you're worried about you know, people want to put people in boxes, attracted to boys, attracted to girls. I was put in a box called attracted to girls and I had to move myself to the attracted to boys box and it was hugely awkward. You've been put by your parents into the attracted to boys box and you have to straddle the boys and girls boxes. And all you got to do to make that straddle successfully is to open your mouth and tell mom and dad what your sisters already know, what your boyfriend already knows, that you're bi. And you will have struck a blow in that moment against terrible, awful bisexual invisibility, which is a huge problem. People sometimes say I don't like bisexuals. I love bisexuals. I like them so much. I want there to be lots more of them. I want you to be known. I want you all to be out. And I have some self-interest in that as I have acknowledged. It's good for LGBT people when people know they know LGBT people and there are a lot of people out there who know B people. They just don't know they know B people because the B people in their lives are not out to them. We could be making – Greater strides in the fight for LGBT equality of all the bisexual people if the almost three-quarters of all bisexual people who are currently closeted came out to their families and friends tomorrow. You can bring us a little closer to that caller by telling mom and dad. Hi, Dan. I'm a huge fan and I really, really need your help. I've been with my partner for almost 10 years. I'm 28 and he's 31. I wanted to get married for a long time. But he didn't. So a couple weeks ago, we struck a compromise and we got a domestic partnership. In the state we live in, it gives us most of the same rights as married couples, like health insurance and hospital visits and the stuff that you don't need until you really, really fucking need it. Um, it was really important to me for us to be protected legally, you know, and he finally agreed. Um, so about two weeks ago, we went down to the courthouse, signed the papers, and we threw a party. Um, it was really wonderful. It was really romantic, and we were both really happy about the choice that we made. And then one week to the day afterwards, my partner woke up with no erection, and it's been like that ever since. He says he can barely get hard, and he can't stay that way. He says he has no sexual thoughts, and he blames it on the partnership. He says legally committed couples can't have a good sex life, and I've taken his manhood, and that his sexuality is gone forever. He's a furious wreck, and I don't know what to do. I've been saying give it time, don't worry, it'll come back, but he says it's gone forever, and it's my fault for wanting this. We really love each other, and we really want to be together. I haven't become an anti-castrating bitch. I I promise that exactly, everything's exactly the same. 
I just wanted to protect us in case something terrible happened. Um, and you know, when we when we got the domestic perch, he, pro- he even proposed and he gave me a ring. And then today he asked me to stop wearing it. So I feel like this is completely insane. Um, but I don't know. Is he right? Is this my fault? Please, please help me. I don't know what to do. Hey, it's Dan Savage. You're shitting me. No, no, I'm not into that. <laughs> uh, how are things with Mr. Softy? Uh, much better, much better. Coming, coming back. Good. It's coming back. I, I don't know. I think maybe he just had a freak out because things changed. It sounds like a male fear of intimacy kind of cliche panic attack meltdown. Mm-hmm. And you should hold his hand through it. It might help for you two to get out and not to swing, but to meet some couples who've been together for a while, who've made commitments, who still have awesome sex lives. You're talking to one half of one of those couples. <laughs> The idea that a commitment, a ring, a ceremony, a piece of paper from a courthouse is somehow – can't be reconciled with an erection is bullshit. Married men get boners all the time. Exactly. I think part of it is also like in our set, we're kind of the first people to be together for a long time and the first people to get any kind of legal commitment. And mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like we don't know a lot of people who are married or partnered really. And he's 31. Mm-hmm. So he feels old now. Doubly exactly. Old. Not just in his 30s, but in his 30s and domestic partnered. <laughs> exactly. Right? But I can tell you from where I'm sitting, 48, <laughs> that 31, <laughs> 31 ain't old. And I'm still fucking the shit out of my husband. And there's no reason you can't be fucking the shit out of each other 17 years from now. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. But it sounds like a panic attack. I, I wish, in a way, you guys hadn't taken the half measure of a domestic partnership. Those were created to, you know, throw us off the scent of marriage as a right. stopgap, sop tossed out to the queers. Um, you know, I, I think it's fine that wherever you are, the domestic partnerships are open to straight couples too. But you know, he's either in or he's out, literally, and he's either committed to or he's not. And you've right. been together a decade. Right. I mean, part of it comes from that, like, he was raised in a really repressive religious atmosphere. So marriage has all of this extra baggage attached. So we're kind of doing step by step. Well, reassure, make him listen to this call because he, here's what he needs to understand about marriage. Uh, it's not what his family told him it was, that marriage has been redefined. And it wasn't us queers who redefined marriage. It was you straight people who redefined marriage. <laughs> marriage for centuries, for millennia, had been a property transaction and it came with all this you know, sky friend Jesus bullshit baggage about male roles and female roles and responsibilities and children and God. And straight people redefined marriage about 50, 60 years ago to mean the legal union of two people who – commit to each other and love each other, period, the end. Everything else is up to that couple. Everything else is fungible. That's what I've been saying. Marriage is, when, when straight people marry, we don't hear that marriage is defined by monogamy, by religion, or by children. We only hear that those three things define marriage when gay people want to get married. When straight people want to get married, anything goes. You can write your own deal. <laughs> you can have a traditional Southern Baptist. The wife submits joyfully to the husband marriage. You can have a femdom marriage where you beat the shit out of him once a day. Whatever you guys want, you can do. So you get to define your own marriage and your own commitment and what it means. And you can define it in such a way that includes a lot of really fun, crazy sex and tons of boners and blowjobs and pegging and whatever else you guys enjoy. 
that marriage does not have to mean the death of all that. But the culture tells people that marriage means the death of all that. There's a horrible interview with Army Hammer, the guy who's starring in the Lone Ranger movie that's tanking in Playboy. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw it. It blew my mind because what he said was, well, you know, now that I'm married, I don't do all these crazy sex things I used to do because this is my wife. I can't pull her hair and slap her ass. Oh, man. I would hate to be married to someone who thought that. I know. But a lot of people think that, that now that we're married, our sex has to be different. Our sex life has to be different. You know, sex in the context of a loving commitment of a deathly piece of paper has right. to change, and it doesn't. And it's actually terrible to have that floating around in the culture out there. It actually makes people not want to get married. It make your, made your domestic partner not want to get married because marriage means the death of fun, adventure, possibility, variety, kink, slapping your ass, but it doesn't have to mean any of that. You guys get to define your own marriage, and you can define it to include all of that. Thank you. That's, that's, I, I had that feeling, but it's really good to hear it out loud. Well, it's true. I know it's true, but you know, sometimes when you feel like you're the only one saying something, it starts to rattle around a little bit. Reassure him that marriage will only be what his parents told him it was if he acts like that. Yep. If he embraces their definition of marriage, his family's crazy, religious, repressive, bullshit notions of marriage, he can th- swallow that shit or he can reject it yep. and still be married or domestic partnered or whatever you guys are for the time being. Absolutely. Good luck. Thank you so much for calling. I'm a huge fan. (laughs) Thanks a lot. I hope the erections come roaring back soon. They're on their way. I recently got caught by my boyfriend chatting online with others about sex. I answered Craigslist ads and signed up for dating sites, which promote having an affair, but never really followed through with having sex with someone else. Over the course of our relationship, over a year and a half, it's happened multiple times. And this last time I got caught... Mind you, the fifth time that I've gotten caught. Uh, Broke our relationship beyond repair to the point that he doesn't know that he should ever trust me again. The thing is, during this time apart, I've had a chance to look at my life. I'm a closeted gay man, and I've looked at changing my life and making it better, and I knew that I had to do something different. In the beginning, he wanted me to be his husband, and I betrayed that trust in his eyes by lying to him. He's given me five chances. This is the fifth time, but he's given me four chances to change, and I didn't. And now I have. I see everything that he wanted, and I know that it's what I want, too. But he says it's too late. He says I should have changed right in the beginning. I feel like those things added up to this change, and he can't see it. But... I know that he still cares about me. There's gifts and mementos and things thrown about his apartment um, that I've given him. And he saved every single note uh, that I've written him over these past couple weeks trying to win him back. I guess my question is, how do I show this man that I've changed? That this is different than any time that's ever happened that he can trust me again, even though it's a little bit. I know that I've changed, and I know that I'll never do it again, because the thought of losing him in my life is unbearable. How do I get him to see that this is what I want, and that I just want him to trust me just a little? Please help me. He's the love of my life. 
It's funny. Listening to your call, the thing that was a huge problem for your boyfriend, your ex-boyfriend, I, I don't think is that big a deal. And the thing that you kind of toss off that then never comes up again and your boyfriend apparently didn't take issue with even though he wanted to marry and settle down and do all these things that are impossible to do in the closet, that was you being closeted. You just threw that out there like I'm closeted and that wasn't an issue for your boyfriend but – Getting online every once in a while on Craigslist and fantasizing and chatting with people, that was the relationship extinction level event. That was the betrayal. You know, Maybe he doesn't believe you when you say you weren't sleeping with other people. Maybe you're lying when you say you weren't actually seeking to sleep with other people. Listening to you know, the, the millions of people who bitch and bitch and bitch about all the fakers and liars and picture trolls online, on every website and every personal's website, on Craigslist in particular – I think it's entirely credible that you were just dinking around online, trying to feel flirty and desirable and had no intention of ever meeting up with anybody. But apparently, you know, that was for your ex-boyfriend a scalding betrayal every each and every time he caught you, each and every time he gave you a second, third and fourth chance, it really took it out of him. Whereas you being closeted didn't seem to matter to him very much. Uh, so what do you do now? Well, I don't know. This is one of those calls, one of those questions where somebody hands me a fuck-to-death pooch and says, Dan, I screwed this pooch. Unscrew this pooch for me. I can't unscrew this pooch for you. I can't get you back into your ex-boyfriend's good graces. If this was really it for him, then it's it. Your only hope of ever getting back together with him is to make the changes in your life that you know you need to make, that he was begging you to make and to make those changes with or without him, whether or not they get him back into your life, you need to make those fucking changes. A, first and most importantly, you need to come the fuck out of the closet, number one. And then number two, you need to get the fuck offline and stop dinking around in these personals websites when you're with someone. And get whatever need that is meeting for you met elsewhere or focus that erotic energies and attention on your partner. Make those changes whether or not you get him back. If you make them only to get him back, he's going to conclude that you will unmake them once you get him back as you did previously. You know, if the only reason you're going to be on your best behavior is to win him back into your life, then once you've won him, you're going to start taking him for granted and things are going to revert to form. So be the person he wanted to be with all along, whether you're with him or not, and maybe he'll take you back then. Or maybe you will then be a better boyfriend to your next boyfriend. And the lesson you learn going forward is your behavior can fuck you out of a really decent and good and loving relationship. And so you're not going to take those risks with the next person who loves you the way this person loved you. And you're not going to take those risks with the next person that you love the way you loved him. Don't tell yourself there can be no one else. Don't tell yourself he's the one and only love of your life. Don't tell yourself he was the one because you're just going to make yourself miserable. Telling yourself all that shit is an excuse to stay closeted and not make any changes. Because why should you make changes when – you're never going to get him back despite making those changes. No, you want to make those changes whether you get him back or not because you don't want to be doing this shit to your next boyfriend, to the next person you feel this strongly about. And who knows? Maybe if you make all these changes and he sees that these changes have been made and you're out and you're healthier, maybe in a year or two, he'll come around and maybe want to start dating you again. But you cannot live for that. 
You cannot live pining away for that. You have to move on and live your life and make these changes. Whether you've made them for him or you've made them for your next boyfriend, these are changes that need to be made. Fucking make them. I need it. Fucking eat it. The lying and the deceit cost you this relationship. You may just have to eat that and fucking own it so that you don't make those mistakes next time. Hi, Dan. My name's Liz, and I'm a 25-year-old female living in the Midwest. My boyfriend and I have been together for four and a half years now, and we have a really healthy sexual relationship. Um, we do a lot of BS play. I'm a dom. He is submissive, so that's kind of a more recent development. Um, he's also a cross-dresser and you know, very cute. Anyway, uh, what I'm getting to is we have been invited to and are going to a closed female naked male party this weekend, upcoming weekend, which is primarily a femdom sort of environment. And it is exactly what it sounds like from what I can tell. I'll be in clothes and he won't. And it'll be the same for everyone else there. One thing that's been happening since we, and this is organized on Set Life, since we said we were going, I've been getting a lot of messages from submissive men, young, younger than I, kind of needy messages. And it, it squeaks me out a little bit because I, I do like the idea of DS play. I do want to play with other people, but I'm a little worried it's going to be kind of the, uh, the virgin complex imprinting like ducklings. And I've, I've had to, you know, be polite and sort of send them off. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how to handle that in an open play environment. I, I'm open to seeking out other partners, and we, we've already sort of negotiated our open relationship, semi-poly terms, but I don't want a duckling. <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong impression or, or make these people that I'm playing with in this open environment feel like we've really established some bond and, and we're going to you know, be together forever. Um, so the party hasn't happened yet, has it? No, it is this Saturday. Oh my God, I'm glad I caught you before the party. Uh, uh, you've never been to sort of a public play DS kind of party before, have you? Um, I've been to a few. Okay. I went to a cuddle party once that got a little crazy, but um, no, I've been to a few, but I've never been as a dom. This it's all kind of new to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've been experimenting with it privately for the past year, year and a half, but it's still pretty brand new, and I'm not really sure how to interact with other people. You know, based on your call, I'm, I'm a little confused about what exactly it is you're nervous about. There seems to be a lot of kind of free-floating anxiety that all these people who are contacting you online are going to show up at the party and imprint on you like ducklings and that you won't know how to interact with people. Uh, I, I think you kind of don't have to worry about that. Most play parties, public play parties, uh, the DS parties that I've heard about uh, where there are women and men and the men are submissive, uh, the men tra- tend to hang back because if they spook the women, if they're coming on too strong or throwing themselves at the women or being assholes, the women are going to leave and then it's going to be nothing but a male submissives with no, a straight male submissives and no dom women in the room party and that's no fun for anybody. So I think you can take a deep breath and relax and know that most of the men in the room will know how to comport themselves and anyone who behaves inappropriately, somebody's in charge of the party, Right. Right, You'll right. be able to say to that person, that guy is 
bothering me, freaking me out, making me uncomfortable. And they'll have words with that person or remove that person from the party because women at parties like that are the necessary and the magic ingredient. You have a lot of power and you don't have to throw it around like you don't have to be, you know, bitchy Cruella DeVille Dom to exercise your power. So, right. And that's totally not me. I mean, that's, I struggled with that early on because I thought that was what I was supposed to be when, you know, when he said that he wanted me to dom him, there wasn't a whole lot of, it was just like, please dom me. And I go, okay, let me figure out what that means. Cause I, I've always identified as a submissive and then a switch and now a dom. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of, you know, uh, floating through the spectrum a little bit. There's but. a great there's a great uh, Tumblr blog that I really like called Beyond the F- Valley of the Femdoms where different mm-hmm. women write about the different ways to be a dom woman that there you don't always have to be the you know black patent leather high boots corset wearing you know she bitch of the SS goddess dom that there's many different ways to be a dom woman including affectionate dom women and women who wear their authority lightly and, and you know what's comfortable to them is the individual like being the dom in this situation should be about you getting to decide how you want to exercise your power, which just exists, whether you're, you know, Elsa of She-Wolf of the SS or some other kind of dom that you're more comfortable living as and being in the moment. So let go of the performance anxiety because that's no good. That's going to derail you however, whoever you are, whatever kind of dom you're going to be. Uh-huh. And, and remember, and tell yourself, there's a difference between the way people act at a party and the way they act online. If you have some sort of fat life profile where you say, I'm going to this party, where you said, I'm going to this party, and you suddenly were deluged with messages, that's mm-hmm. because an online profile is a place where you're saying, you may contact me, you may talk to me, you may approach me, and be pretty right. explicit. That's the understanding, that's the, the social compact that exists when you have an online personal or profile, that people can tap you on the shoulder and say, me, me, me. Pay attention to me, right? They won't do that at a play party. Right. And, and I've been, you know, I've been trying to respond, you know, kindly, especially with the, the people I'm not really interested in. I respond kindly and politely. And it's, it's just, I'm a little, I was just a little nervous that it was going to turn into that, especially because the community that I'm in and the people that are going, a lot of the doms are, are older. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the men are older, you know, we're, we're both 25, so we're a little um, <laughs> on the young side, right. given the, the community. So that's, that always, that made me a little anxious. But you get to write your own ticket and you get to tell anybody you want to, to back the fuck off. You don't have to be respectful because someone's older and more experienced in the scene. And you're somebody that, you know, the scenesters in Kinkland want to be involved and be a part of it. People will be invested in you not being made to feel uncomfortable and fleeing. And you know what? If it's a shitty party run by a shitty group and you are made to feel uncomfortable, go. Just get your shit, tell your sub to get dressed and leave. And if anyone asks why you're leaving, tell them why you're leaving. So they can fix it in the future, I guess. So they can fix it in the future or you can find a better party or better group of people to hang out with when you want to have public play. Right. And they're out there. But But give the group a chance and, you know, go in there with your, uh, force field up and, you know, your bullshit detectors firing, uh, but I, I think you can take a deep breath and relax. Most play parties are not the bacchanals or sort of the out-of-control environments that people who don't get BDSM or understand it assume them to be. They're usually pretty controlled because if people feel uncomfortable, they collapse. They fall apart. Right, and that's not good for anybody. Right, and it's that goes doubly, triply so for hetero 
environments for male, female, mixed gendered environments because women are the necessary and magic ingredient when there are male subs around. And I think you'll find that your concerns may not be overblown. There may be one or two people there who have to be scolded uh-huh. and sent packing, but I think you'll find that they're 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 on, they're overblown. So it might a be a little receptive to the scolding. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you don't want to reward them with negative attention either. But if somebody bothers you, I would encourage you, a woman at a play party, not to get in that person's face yourself, but to go talk to the organizers or the dungeon master, whoever's in charge, the bouncer, uh-huh. and say, this person needs to stay away from me and is behaving inappropriately. Don't make it sexy for him. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Will you, give us a call after you go to, will you give us a call after you go to the party and let us know how it went? Yes, definitely. We'd love to hear Yeah, no, we're definitely going, so I will definitely report back. Thank you so much for calling. You're welcome. Enjoy it. And, and definitely check out Beyond the Valley of the Femdoms on Tumblr. It's a terrific, terrific, I think, sort of just uh, idea post, thinking post, where a lot of dom women think out loud about the kind of dom women they want to be as opposed to the sort of porn dom script that they've been assigned. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely look at that. Thank you. Sure thing. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is regarding episode 350. Dan, I thought your comments to the the guy who was wondering about the, the rights of his possibly biological daughter to know her heritage were really off base. First of all, I really didn't hear the tone that you accused him of, of being, of just wanting to out this woman I thought he was talking about this kid's rights to know where she came from. And I got to say, I really kind of agreed with him. I think that it's really inappropriate of anybody to keep that kind of history hidden from a person. And that that damage is going, that's going to come out at some point. And the later it is, the more, the more damaging it is. And if there's any kind of, because I think kids who, are from different parents, they often start to suspect and it makes them feel really weird and they did deserve to know. So anyway, you were pretty harsh and uh, I felt bad for the guy. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in regards to episode 350 and the gentleman who is considering contacting his possible illegitimate daughter. And I just wanted to add another voice to hopefully the chorus of people urging him not to do it. When I was 18, my parents sat me down and decided to drop a bomb on me that completely shattered any idea of the family that I thought I had, and I wish they never had. It's been 10 years, and I'm still trying to find a way to pick up the pieces. If you do feel the need to contact her, I would wait until she is at least 25. 18 is not the age to be able to handle these things. And once again, encourage you not to do it at all unless there's some sort of medical history issue that's discovered that you really feel she needs to know. And in that case, you should probably just contact the mother and then let her figure out how to disseminate that information to the girl as she sees fit. Uh, If you really want to be a part of this girl's life, be a positive force and stay out of it, Uh, you're her father possibly, but you're never going to be her parent. Hey, Dan, you aired my call just the other day. I think it was episode 349. I called about the bathhouses. Well, we went. We actually went to one in Berkeley. So I'm sure people will know what I'm talking about if they've been. But I had a blast, or maybe a few, and it was fun. And I can't say the same for everyone that went with me, though. My partner went, and then we had a friend who joined us. Our friend was pseudo-satisfied, and my partner was really disappointed. So the Glory Hall action wasn't very good. There was a lot of people waiting, and not many people 
going to get sucked. So, yeah, he was disappointed. Fortunately, though, I'm following your advice with the whole setting up our own glory hole, so we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll let you know for that one, too. But, yeah, so I enjoyed it. I can totally see the lizard or the reptile part of the zoo, those, you know, dark, misty, lots of people crowding around to see, things like that. So it was fun, but not for everyone. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a call. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Buy my new book. If I mention my new book on the podcast, American Savage, you should go read it. 206-201-2720. That's the number. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>